Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful people with the fire of your love. Take our minds and think through them. Take our lips and speak through them. Take our souls and set them on fire. Amen. Please be seated. Episcopalians are confused and conflicted about the Holy Spirit. Aren't we? I remember once hearing someone say about Pentecost, well, we certainly hope that the Holy Spirit is on her best behavior today. While another fashionista might say, well, I know on Pentecost the priest wears red vestments, but why the heck am I supposed to wear red? Well, still another member, totally confused, might say something like, um, yeah, well, um, God is God, and so, like, why does this always have to come up when school's out and it's really hot outside? If it's such an important day, why now? To which the easiest response is to all of these is just to smile and to probably say something like, yes. The Holy Spirit is so misunderstood and maligned in Christianity. Take, for example, this story. At a small church in England, a Sunday school teacher had been telling the children how Jesus teaches them about the Holy Spirit being sent to us so that we can be born again. And she was trying to explain to the children the difference between physical birth and spiritual birth. In trying to engage the young students, she asked them, Are you born a Christian? To which a young boy said, Oh no, miss, not at all. You were born normal. <laughs> I say this because the whole concept of renewal, of being born again, is severely misrepresented by some and severely misunderstood by most of us. What Christianity has traditionally meant by this is that we are called, we are directed by God, we are drawn into a reality of love that guides us, that protects us, that fills us up and empowers us to pour out that reality of love upon the entire world. That's the celebration of love that we're celebrating about that love coming into our community. Pentecost remembers the first time that the disciples gathered and felt and saw and heard that ruach, that wind, that sacred spirit of the Lord God rushing into their enclosed room like a violent wind, so forceful that it set their souls on fires and tongue of fl tongues of flame, anointed each disciple and empowered them with gifts. One we hear about today is them speaking in languages that they previously hadn't spoken before, with so much clamor and commotion that it drew a crowd from the outside and people started to wonder, what in the heck is going on here? 
There must have been so much noise in the room because even Peter had to shout to draw everybody's attention. And with great boldness, he began to proclaim a prophecy about reawakening, about reimagining life with God, about reviving the Spirit of God, moving and acting and dwelling among the people. People who were there saw, saw that something truly holy was taking place. And people saw the possibilities of God's promises in what they were hearing. And that very day, later in the story, it tells us that over 3,000 people were baptized. Quite a day for the disciples, I'd say. Quite a day for us, too. The reality of Pentecost, though, this celebration of the arrival of the Holy Spirit... The reality is, is this is not a one-time-only event. Yes, it was recorded in such a way that it happened a long time ago, but these awakenings of the human condition to the love and mercy and sheer joy of being in relationship with the divine, that continues, and wonderful things result. These awakenings have happened often throughout human history. And in our own country, two of the greatest occurrences of this inbreaking of the Holy Spirit happened in what historians call the first and second great awakenings. I'll let you go online and look up all the facts and figures about what that move, those movements were about. Wikipedia actually has decent entries on them. But what I want to do is I want us to look at the results, because in the first and second and great awakenings, we'll immediately identify with how the Holy Spirit has liberated humankind from previous notions of the status quo. Let, let me be more specific. In the first great awakening, this was somewhere in the mid-18th century, one of the greatest contributions to our national spiritual psyche was that the notion of that all people were created equal. That the traditional British class system could not and must not be a part of the American way of life. This happened before we became a nation. And in fact, some scholars at Yale have recently argued that in this movement called the First Great Awakening, it was also the first time that the 13 colonies ever considered themselves to be one body, one entity. Previously, each colony would have thought of themselves as independent from each other. So, first great awakening, a new way to look at people and how we relate to one another. And the second great awakening came later, in the 19th century, and these were known by huge tent revivals and public gatherings of preaching and teaching and singing. Most of them were held in the Midwest, in rural areas, but thousands of people joined this. And through this movement, ideas such as free public education for children, the abolition of slavery, and even the seeds were sown for the idea that women should be given the right to vote. All of these resulted from gatherings of Christians who were able to name and see the presence of the holy changing them. 
doing something new, something previously unheard of and unknown, something entirely new in their midst. And so here we are today in the 21st century. Here we are. Some people say that religion is in decline. Some people say that Christianity may not be around in 100 years. And some people say it's just simply not in style and it's on the way out. And to that I have to say, no way. We, have to need, to, we need to look no further than to see what's happening here in our local community. Think about it. For example, we just hosted a world-class exhibit in the only art gallery entitled Borderlands, Encounters in the Desert, showing the human side and the human cost to global poverty and inequality. The Holy Spirit's convicting us to care, to pray, to respond. Our choir is about to set their sights on England to represent the work and the people of Trinity Cathedral at the Cathedral of St. Albans in Hertfordshire. And the Holy Spirit is leading us to sing new songs to new people. Our children's and family ministries are starting an era of new birth, one that will draw on the religious experience of how Christ has filled each child with the gift of learning and hope and love. Again, more spirit work. And finally, the people of Trinity Cathedral continue to engage the Phoenix community and the people of Arizona with the most pressing issues of our day. I am not going to preach politics today. No, I am not. But I am going to preach love. And I'm going to say that the people of Trinity are going to continue to find new ways to proclaim love, to literally pour it out upon the city, pour out our gifts, our gifts that are given to us by the Holy Spirit, pouring them out through the utilization of our prayers when we gather together, but also of our time and our talent and our treasure. Yes, we will. Love is going to pour down and through the city of Phoenix, and it will all start from this very sacred space, this space that was consecrated almost 100 years ago now for God's purposes. The city of Phoenix has had its ups and downs. So has this cathedral. And some of those here have done amazing, and I do mean amazing things for our community. But our day to act was not yesterday. Although actions taken by this community have been bold and big in the past, our day to act is today, in the here and now, while we might begin again to see the work of the Holy Spirit among us, breaking open our old preconceived ideas and reawakening us, helping us reimagine a world that Jesus wants us to live in, where all are welcome and that God's goodness is literally poured out over all people. And what we have to do to begin is to name the goodness, to name the goodness in each other, to recognize the Holy Spirit working in our midst, 
to be present for one another and to call upon the name of the Lord, just like our Acts reading tells us. This isn't theoretical. This is actually quite practical, that if we call upon the name of the Lord through keeping our hearts open and committing ourselves to love God with all our heart, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, in everything we do, if we call upon the name of the Lord to reawaken us from the time we wake up in the morning to the time we say goodnight, we will not only encounter the greatest joy we might ever possibly know, we will also encounter, in the words of Anglican divine Thomas Beacon, we will also rest in delight, pleasure, and felicity. Rest in pleasure, delight, and felicity. The Holy Spirit wants you to stand up. The Holy Spirit wants you to move. The Holy Spirit wants you to be fully alive this day at Trinity Cathedral. And we need you because God needs you. Are we going to be born-again Christian or born-again normal? I'd say, I would say we're going to be reawakened by the Spirit of Jesus and live more fully into that joy. Will the Holy Spirit be on our best behavior? I hope not. That sounds really boring. We have a lot of work to do, and we have a lot of love to share. If we are heirs of the first and second great awakenings, will the third one start right now, right here at Trinity Cathedral? If we commit ourselves to let it, letting the Spirit of God move and breathe, and pour empowerment and love upon us. Yes, it certainly might start here today in our very presence. Pentecost celebrates God's movement, God's action. Let's move with God today. <laughs>